Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. This is Lydia Kincaid and Lee Harris with IIM Innovation in Motion. We have a variety of topics to talk about today um, related to venture capital investing. Um, First, we want to start by talking about really the state of the market and what's going on in the venture capital industry. Today's date is May 4th. We know, you know this might be listened to in the future, May 4th, 2022. So we'll see how things pan out and how right we are about what we think is happening in the venture capital industry, where things are headed. Um, but there's a lot of volatility coming and already starting um, is what we're starting to see. So we saw a lot of really, really high valuations in 2021, a lot of money being poured into the industry, not just venture capital, but real estate and other industries as well. Um, there's a lot going on though. Maybe Lee, you can give us a segue or a segue to the, the lay of the land. Um, what's been going on? Well, it's a mess, uh, total, totally a mess right now, messier than it's ever been, I think for quite some time. And what do I mean? Well, obviously we have a war in Ukraine Uh, We have rising interest rates. We have an unsettled political situation, uh, all of which have uh, pushed us uh, into a really volatile time. Inflation, of course, uh, the Fed's trying to fight inflation right now. Uh, That's concerning, frankly, the way they're going about it. Uh, But uh, as a result, uh, you mentioned the word volatility. Uh, I second the motion. It is very volatile. It's very uncertain. And it's a, it's a vulnerable time for founders uh, that are trying to raise money and build companies. Uh, supply chain issues are a really big uh, problem right now for much of the world, uh, particularly here in the United States, where we get a lot of uh, parts and raw materials from other countries. Uh, our transportation costs are up uh, with, the, with the oil situation. Uh, we have ships that are, uh, are stuck in, sh- in the Shanghai Harbor. I mean, hundreds of ships, it looks like, that are filled with, with products that we need here in the United States. So, uh, you know, I, I think that this, this is going to be problematic for quite some time. And the bottom line here is for founders seeking to raise capital, uh, the market volatility could result in less favorable terms it could result in longer due diligence timeframes and uh, the need for greater caution on the part of, of funders uh, like us. I, I am, we're a, we're a funding apparatus and we certainly uh, are aware of, of, of what's going on out there in the, in the economy. We're seeing a lot of companies and our deal flow has been off the charts uh, and you are correct about the, the valuation situation last year. Uh, and I would tell founders right now that uh, the pendulum is swinging and it's going to be a lot more difficult to raise money, uh, particularly at, uh, at high valuations. Uh, you know, Lydia, I know that you are particularly uh, aware of what it means when a, a founder comes in with a valuation that's ridiculously high. And you might talk a little bit about what that can mean for future funding rounds if you come in at this early, early stage with a valuation that just doesn't make any sense. 
Sure. Well, for one evaluation that doesn't make sense, it's going to make it harder for founders to raise capital um, because that automatically in one of the very first conversations um, kind of puts investors off a little bit um, if they don't see that there's justification for evaluation that's being thrown out on the table. So it makes the whole conversation a little bit harder. Um, and then down the road, as companies continue to raise capital, um, investors and founders alike, we we love to see that increase in valuation. Um, and so if your pathway to a higher valuation has a hiccup along the way, and we have a down round in the next round, which means the valuation has decreased, that makes it exponentially harder to raise capital, even from the people who invested in the company to begin with. Um, so I think setting reasonable valuations and reasonable milestones that you're working towards in order to reach higher valuations down the line as well. Um, anything you wanted to add to that, Lee, as we're hearing these pitches with valuations? No, I think that's spot on. And, and the, 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 the real caution here is that uh, while it may feel good at this very early stage to have a, a company that you believe is extremely valuable, if you don't have any revenue, uh, yet, because you might have a minimally viable product, but you don't have revenue uh, associated with it, that valuation is just kind of uh, out there in the ether. And now is a time, uh, and we've actually seen a couple of companies that have come in uh, with pitches where they were more realistic on valuations, and they're setting themselves up in a very good way. Uh, to to uh, increase those valuations when when they do finally have revenue, but if in this environment you're trying to raise money at a valuation that's smoke and mirrors and it's way too high, and number one you may have difficulty doing that. But worse for you is when the the, the professional investors in a Series B or a Series C come along and look at what valuation you're trying to get then and they poo-poo it, now you're stuck. I mean, you really are in a, in a bad way because they're not going to fund at that level. And then you've got investors who are mad because there's a down round, as you point out, and, and their valuations are marked down rather than marked up. So I think that, that you know, we've spent a little bit of time on this, but I think it's important for any founder listening to this that you, you need to be very careful about just plucking a number out of the air just because at some conference you heard that you ought to get a, a very, very high valuation for your, your company because that's not necessarily the way things are shaking out today. Well, and the correction will come um, at, at some point in time. If the company's not really worth that amount of money, then the next investor or the one after that will correct it because they're the ones who are going to write the bigger checks and have more influence on the board. Um, so it's really only a matter of time. So we've talked about valuation. Um, companies also, we think, need to pay particular attention to three specific things in this current market environment. Lee, you and I have talked about this a lot, um, paying attention to their growth strategy, um, burn, and margins. So let's dig into those three topics um, so our listeners have an idea what that looks like. Um, maybe stating the obvious, but growth should be important to any founder. Um, and I think especially in this environment, paying attention to how quickly that growth can happen, really accelerating that growth, um, pulling out all the stops in order to support growth. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Lee? Yeah, I think growing the business is critical to establishing credibility in the marketplace, as well as with investors. 
that means acquiring new customers. That means increasing sales, expanding production facilities, and getting to profitability as soon as possible. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, if growth has been stagnant, the founding team needs to shake things up and figure out how to push the trend line up and to the right. Uh, now, we work with a lot of very early stage companies uh, that may not yet have revenue, but I think there needs to be an attempt to accelerate the process of getting uh, product into customers' hands sooner rather than later. Uh, and, and we do see some companies, particularly in the human health space, uh, that have 510k approval requirements, and they can't really generate revenue until that 510k is is received. Uh, but uh, you know there are a lot of steps that a company can take to show growth while awaiting that clearance. <clears throat> it could be growth of the team uh, with with essential uh, team members uh, being added. Uh, it could be uh, IP. There's intellectual property is always a concern, especially with the companies that are science-based. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of times people think growth just means revenue, and it means a lot more than that. It means uh, all of the things that we're talking about here, but but stagnancy is your enemy right now. If, uh, if you're stuck in the mud as a company uh, and, and you can't show that you're on a, a solid upward trajectory in multiple areas, then it's gonna to be tough to get funding. And so I would say that the, the first area that should be prioritized by founders is growth. And you need to map out just exactly what elements uh, you're going to want to show where growth is concerned. I would also add another way to show growth is having strategic conversations with potential strategic partners or acquirers. Um, document that, make sure you're you know, sharing this information with your investors and other people who are considering, who you consider stakeholders in your business. Um, that is another way definitely to show growth while you're perhaps waiting on regulatory approval or clinical trials to get completed or whatnot. Because IP as well, um, I mean, that can take a long time too. So, I mean, there should be multiple areas of growth that every company is focusing on at all times. Um, you're rightly doesn't just have to be in revenue. There's a lot of ways to show growth. Um, how about managing burn? We see companies that just keep ramping up their monthly costs. Um, and in some, sometimes it's needed if they're expanding the team and perhaps that team member is a salesperson. And so they're helping to generate revenue. There needs to be justification for expanding the team. But um, especially in this environment, it's not necessarily a good sign to see costs continue to go up month over month and just burning through cash because we know what's going to happen. Then the company comes to 30 days left of cash in the bank and they come back to their investors and there's some sort of desperation um, from the founders um, needing additional capital. So I've summarized that maybe a little bit too quickly. Lee, can you describe a little bit more about managing burn and what that means? Yeah, the the runway is critical here. Um, and there is advice that we used to give, you know, get make sure you raise enough money to have 12 to 18 months of runway. I think that that needs to be revised to 18 to 24 months with an emphasis on 24 months because we don't know how long this turmoil in the marketplace is going to last. And 
one of the worst things I think a, a founder can do while they're trying to grow the company, as we talked, uh, is constantly be raising money. I mean, if you're if you're knocking on doors with your hand out all the time, you're distracted from the business of of growing your company. And so uh, we, we love to see companies that come in and say, we're raising enough to have 24 months of runway. And then there are ways that you can manage the, the burn beyond the, the cost control. And we'll talk about the cost control in a second, but uh, non-dilutive grants is a, is a real positive approach to this, uh, where especially if you're a scientific company or scientific-based company, there are a lot of uh, resources out there that uh, can, can provide non-dilutive grants, $50,000, $500,000, whatever the number, it's all helpful. Uh, and it extends the runway. Uh, something that we hardly ever hear anybody talk about is pre-selling product. If, if you've got a unique product uh, and, and you don't actually have the product in delivery yet, but you have convinced enough customers that uh, it's a, a viable product, uh, see if you can't pre-sell that product and get some cash in the door. You may have to offer some initial discounts uh, to do that, but uh, you know that's a way to, uh, to help the revenue side when you're pre-revenue. Uh, obviously, uh, delaying the hiring of non-essential team members is, uh, is, is vital here. And when you do have uh, team members you want to add, Offering some deferred compensation in exchange for lower salaries is helpful. Uh, you just have to be very, very, very careful with your, with your cash. We've, uh, in our pipeline calls and in our investor meetings <clears throat> with founders that make pitches, um, we're hearing uh, more uh, people saying they need bridge rounds. And uh, what that tells me, and I'm not anti-bridge round, but I'm not a big proponent of bridge rounds. Obviously, if you don't have enough money, if you're five months away from going out of business, you need to do whatever it takes to, to get some money in the door, whether it's the non-dilutive grants or pre-selling product or, or, or cutting your expenses, which oftentimes is people. Uh, but uh, if you have to do a bridge, do a bridge. Uh, bridge rounds, if you, if you raise enough money for 24 months of runway, you shouldn't need a bridge. Uh, that's, that 24 months is plenty of time to grow your business and plan for the next round of funding. <clears throat> when you raise money today for whatever your current round, if it's a seed round, if it's a series A round, you should be doing that, thinking about what's the next round of funding look like. How much is it going to be? When is it going to be? I mean, if you're raising money today and say we're going to start raising again in 12 months for the next round, I think that's a mistake in this current environment. I think that, again, raise the money for 24 months, manage your burn, try to extend your runway beyond 24 months if you can with uh, some of those uh, pre-revenue ideas and, and grant ideas. Uh, but try to avoid, if you can, whatever it takes don't do a bridge round, raise enough money uh, up front and be more intentional about planning that next fundraising round. If it's a series A or it's a series B, 
know what that's going to look like as you're raising your seed round. And we, we've talked about even the definition of a bridge round, the word bridge. I mean, the funding round should be a bridge to something, not a bridge to nowhere. Um, so if there's not a plan to raise additional capital, then, it, then it's not a bridge. It should be, it should be a full-blown new round of financing um, with terms that are favorable to the investors because the company wasn't able to achieve the milestones they set out to achieve. Um, there should be terms already thought through for what the next round of funding might look like. So, I mean, we all know that a term sheet isn't, doesn't mean anything until it's signed and set in stone. Um, but the investors should have an idea of what their money will turn into at the end of this bridge. Um, that's the word bridge really um, can get misused a lot. Um, and I think investors are going to start to push against that more and more in this environment. Yeah, I, I like your analogy of bridge to nowhere, because if, if, um, if you're just raising enough money to stay in business, that does not engender a lot of confidence. Uh, if right. you're raising enough money to get you to uh, the Series A or to the Series B, and you can show what that Series A or Series B funding round looks like, what are the milestones? Uh, you know, where are you on the on the revenue growth uh, margins, etc. Uh, okay. We've had, uh, we've had some uh, early stage companies that have reached out for bridge funding because they were working on the next round of, uh, of funding. And uh, lo and behold, they, they had a term sheet that they thought was signed and it got pulled. Uh, and so now, and, and by the way, that can happen because of the volatility in the marketplace. You think you're working with, with a lead investor for the next round of funding. Uh, you've done everything right. You planned correctly. And then all of a sudden, uh, after months of discussions and, and perhaps a, a term sheet has floated back and forth, that investor says, oops, not going to do it. Now you're left in a lurch. Uh, that's not your fault, uh, but you're scrambling. And we get that. We understand that. If you're doing a bridge because you, you didn't raise enough the first time or, or you're not making your milestones, that doesn't feel as good as a situation where somebody has been performing all the way through and they got left at the altar by an investor who decided for whatever reason that they couldn't perform. And that's happened to us twice just in the last four months now. So um, I, I mean, I hope that's not a sign that it's more, it'll be more common because that does a lot for an, a, for a lead investor to back out when a term sheet has been signed. Um, but it, but it does happen. Obviously it's happened to us. It does. Okay. It does. Ha it does happen. And, and frankly, it's not helpful to the industry. Uh, right. You know, when, when we're talking to our other uh, you know, funders that are, uh, that we share the space with out there, you know, don't be offering term sheets uh, unless you're absolutely certain you're going to be able to deliver uh, because it's, this is a fragile ecosystem that we're in at this very early stage, whether it's angel stage, pre-seed stage, whatever. And it's just not good when uh, there are actors out there who are pulling the rug on people. So uh, as a founder, make sure you're working with a reputable uh, funding source uh, platform that uh, has a track record of performing 
and not some Johnny come lately. Right, for sure. Um, the third piece of advice we've talked about a lot, Lee, is for founders to really focus on margins as well. Um, this might be surprising to some of our listeners, but sometimes when founders or CEOs of these startup companies that are pitching to us, when they get asked by our investors, well, what are your gross margins? Or what do you anticipate them being once you're at economies of scale? A lot of times people can't even answer that question, um, which is a pretty red flag, pretty big red flag for us. Um, but it, it does happen. And especially now those margins, that that is a data point that needs to be really fine-tuned and paid attention to. Share with us what, what you mean by that in a little bit more detail. Yeah, so a lot of companies that we look at don't have profitability yet. Uh, they may be pre-revenue even, uh, but you know, let's, let's talk about a company that does have some revenue. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the, the better the, the gross margin, uh, uh, the, the healthier the business, and it shows you that uh, there's some real opportunity at scale. I would recommend to a founder that they have some, some solid projections that uh, they can back up with some data that says, okay, at, at, at this level of, uh, of scale, we have margins of X. And at uh, this level, the next level of scale, we have better margins and, and be able to identify what those margins are. But don't just shoot a number at us. Tell us why you think you'll be able to improve those margins. Uh, if you have a product already and you're starting to get some traction in the marketplace, I would caution, be careful about you know, trading large discounted orders that lower your margins. Uh, you want to be able to show a steady growth of margins uh, over a period of months. Uh, annual recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue is really important in a subscription kind of business. Um, but be careful about trying to buy the business with a bunch of discounts because, uh, and it's one thing if you're pre-selling uh, a product that, that isn't on the market yet and you have to offer some discounts there. It's a whole different situation if you have a product that's already uh, in the sales cycle and you say, oh, I can go sell a whole bunch of this product to XYZ company, but I'm going to take a big discount doing so, but it just it shows more revenue, it shows more growth. That's not the kind of growth we're looking for. Uh, you know, so... Um, I, I realize that sometimes it's necessary to do that to stay alive, but it's not a good long-term strategy. So um, uh, I think having a, a clear uh, pathway where over the next 12 to 24 months, you can show here are the things we're going to do to get to scale. Here are the things that we're doing to, to drive sales. Here's what we expect margins to look like um, over a period of time and how they're going to grow. I think that's uh, that gives us certainly as a funding platform a lot of confidence that you know what you're doing. Right. And what I like to see also is a sensitivity analysis and an overlaid 
um, on top of those projections, uh, cause that shows if sales are X, here's what happens to our margins of sales are Y sales are Z. Um, and so bake in all the different costs and variables that you can, um, in order to show what could possibly happen in different scenarios. Th those are really the best kind of financial models, um, that I see when we're in our due diligence process. Yeah. And I think that, uh, the, the, the trend in the certainly the SaaS business world and the subscription model, the, tr the trend has been often uh, that, uh, you know, there's a tendency to grow, 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 grow the customer uh, base at all costs and with, with nothing uh, in the way of, of paying attention to the bottom line or the gross margins. It's just how many customers can we can we bring in, and uh, then there's there's been the belief that with those kind of companies, uh, the, the the more customers they can show uh, quickly. You know, if you have ten percent growth of customer base month over month, that's huge, and you you start to get this exponential effect. But in this environment. That's just not something I think that's going to the pro profitability is important here, I guess, is what I'm trying to cut through and, and get to the bottom line. Get the profitability as quickly as you can. And so when we ask the question, what's your customer acquisition cost or CAC, C-A-C, uh, we're trying to we're trying to understand, are you just out there throwing the kitchen sink and everything else at a customer to get them to sign on? Or are you paying attention to the margins and is it costing you more to, to bring that customer in than you're going to receive in revenue? And that's been a, a, a big part of the SaaS model in the past. And I think that that's not as, uh, as operative today as it once was maybe even a year ago. Right. I mean, we're, we're hoping that our founders are creating a sustainable business, not just a company that grows really, really fast over the next six to 12 months and then levels off. Um, and everything you said, Lee, um, feeds into that strategy, really. Right. So I think that covers it for today. Lee, thanks everyone for listening to us and we'll talk with you next time. Mm -hmm.